What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wada. When I was a teenager, one of my all-time favorite things to read was Arthurian legend. And one of my all-time favorite authors was Vivian Van de Velde. So when I found a book by Van de Velde based in Arthurian legend, you can bet it was a hit. The Book of Mordred focuses, of course, on the villain of the story. There have been quite a few books, especially in recent years, that have taken on the point of view of the villain. Among them, the really popular Wicked, The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West by Gregory Maguire. There have also been other novels that have taken on the Arthurian villain, such as Nancy Springer's I Am Mordred, Sarah Thompson's The Dragon's Son, and Elizabeth Wine's The Winter Prince, which all tell Mordred's story. But for me, one of the greats you can add to this lofty canon is The Book of Mordred. Far from rehashing stale territory, Vandeveld offers significant insight. The story is told from the perspective of three women who are a part of Mordred's life. Mordred becomes more of a minor character as focus is given to the perspectives of Lady Alana, the sorceress Nimune, and Kiera, Alana's young daughter. Through the women's eyes, we gain deeper insight into Mordred's psyche. In this way, the reader can begin to see him as a character that deserves sympathy rather than a mere villain. The book chronicles various events over a 10-year period, finally ending with the deaths of Mordred and Arthur. Throughout the book, the characters impact one another's lives, all connected in an action-packed plot told in vivid words that bring the familiar setting to life. Despite weighty themes such as love, loyalty, chivalry, family, destiny, evil, and death, the story is never overwhelmed by them. Readers who have yet to be fully introduced to Mordred will find this novel, with its concluding comprehensive outline of the whole legend, very accessible. Even those more familiar with Arthurian tales will find this novel rich and interesting. So here at Rachel's World, we recommend that if you want to breathe new life into an old legend, check out Van de Velde's retelling, which will be an excellent read for fantasy and historical fiction fans. I saw you toss the kites on high and blow the birds about the sky. That's the beginning of a Robert Louis Stevenson poem, The Wind, written for children. Maybe you read it when you were a child. Reaching and teaching children through poetry is hardly a new idea, but who is doing it today? And what could your role be in introducing children to this kind of art and language? Sylvia Vardell says you can open up a whole world to kids through poetry. Vardell is a poetry expert and anthologist. She talks to Rachel about some of her favorite poets writing for young people today, and for adults too. Sylvia Vardell is a professor at Texas Women's University in the School of Library and Information Studies. She also teaches courses in literature for children and young adults. Here's Rachel with Sylvia. Today on our show, we're talking with Sylvia, who is a poetry expert. And I am so excited to talk to you today, Sylvia, because poetry is one of my all-time favorite things. 
So to start out, let's talk a little bit about some of your favorite poets for children, especially modern ones. Who are some of those names that come to mind? Oh, there's so many great poets writing for kids today. It's it's really marvelous. Um, and some of them write for adults as well as for children, and some just for young people. And a lot of people write both poetry um, and novels and verse. Um, some of my favorites, well, I love uh, Naomi Shihab Nye. Her work is par excellence, and she is well known in the field of poetry for adults but she's also written quite a lot for young people and is known for anthologizing, too. So she has books of poetry written by others that she's put together, and she's gathered poets from around the world. So that's a tremendous resource if you're trying to open up the whole world to kids. Uh, My colleague Janet Wong, she and I are collaborators on anthologies for kids, but she herself is a lovely poet and writes really accessible work that infuses her own cultural heritage. She addresses Chinese and Korean attributes as well, and then also creates poems about families and friendship that are just really wonderful and engaging. Um, Of course, Lee Bennett Hopkins is a name everyone knows. He won a Guinness Book of World Records prize for the most anthologies of poetry for children ever. Um, and he himself, as a poet, has written many wonderful books. He's, he's gathered some of the, the best and brightest of new poets. If you're looking for brand new names, you'll find them in his work first. See, who else? Douglas Florian, I'm a big fan of his work. He's an artist and a poet, so he illustrates his own books in very interesting ways with watercolors and collages, and he has such a great dry sense of humor. Kids love Florian's work. He uses puns and wordplay and surprise endings and writes about all kinds of animals and sports. Um, Just a really fun poet for kids, very accessible. Gosh, Pat Mora, wonderful uh, Latina poet to incorporate some Spanish words along all the English words of her poems, very musical, very engaging. I could go on and on. I I keep a blog myself all about poetry for kids, just sharing ideas, for ways to connect kids in poetry, and I have links to about a hundred poets who write for young people on my blog. I welcome people to check it out because I'm all about helping you help kids have fun with poetry. That's wonderful. And we will put a link um, up to your blog on our website so people can get access to that. And you also mentioned your anthologies. I love your Friday anthologies. They're an amazing work that not only brings the poet and the poem there to the page, but also allows some activities that people can connect to the poem. So tell us a little bit about those anthologies and how they came to be. Thank you. I appreciate the compliment, and I love talking about them. They have been such a labor of love. Um, Yes, this is the Poetry Friday Anthology series, and it's a collaboration with uh, Janet Wong. And then we have invited almost 200 poets who write for children now, um, both young adult and for younger children, to contribute. So the poets create brand-new, never-before-seen poems, and we include them in our anthologies. We've had four anthologies now that we've published, one for kindergarten through fifth grade. A second book came out for middle school, grades sixth, seventh, and eighth. A third book of poetry featured poems entirely about science and various science subjects to promote science literacy and science exploration. And then our fourth book last year was a Poetry Friday anthology for celebrations, all about holidays and historic events, 
like President's Day and Valentine's Day and Groundhog Day, all brand new poems by, again, a variety of poets. And then in every one of those books, I am the curriculum person who writes a small mini-lesson for each poem, so every single poem gets a, a mini-lesson. We call it the Take Five approach because it's a five-step, sort of five-minute activity, very short, very gentle, very easy to do, intended for people who don't already know how to share poetry, so it's for your novice, and it follows sort of the same general guidelines each time, so it becomes a very comfortable format, both for kids and for the adult. The, the Take Five includes first read the poem out loud, and then we tell you how to do that using a prop or some technology or a simple question. The second step is read the poem a second time, but this time get the kids to read it with you. And again, we tell you how to do that. Get the kids to join in on the title or the last line or the repeated uh, word or refrain. And the third step is to pause for a moment and talk about the poem with the kids with an open-ended question or with um, a prompt that gets the kids to think about um, how the poem makes them feel or any connection or association they have with the poem. It's not analysis. It's more, what did you think? And then the fourth step in the Take 5 is where we link to a picture book that might be related to this poem for a story time activity or bedtime or with a skill um, that needs to be highlighted if you're going to connect with the Common Core skills uh, or want to introduce gently one skill at a time, one poem at a time, um, how to look for rhyme or um, uh, onomatopoeia or something like that. And then the fifth step in the Take Five is always, let's connect this poem we just read with another poem that's like it in some way. So we can keep that poetry sharing momentum going and get more poetry read and shared and talked about. It's a really simple approach, but all the work is done for you. And that's one of the things we're really proud of. Our anthologies are our collections of poetry, new, unpublished, fresh, appealing, contemporary, and diverse poetry. But every poem comes ready-made with a little mini-lesson ready to share. It, it is amazing. And the one thing I love about the anthologies, even though they're more focused on teachers in some ways, they're very accessible even to parents in the home. I, you can definitely use the activities in the anthologies with, uh, with any kind of context. So a great resource for anyone who wants to share poetry with children. Great. I'm so glad to hear that because we also had homeschooling families in mind as well and, you know, bedtime or mealtime sharing because it's, you know, like you said, it's just a very easy mom's going to read it out loud and now the kids are going to read it along and now maybe dad will prompt the question or, or it doesn't have to be, you know, the, the traditional family unit. Just the adults can do this part, the kids can do this part, and there's a lot of back and forth and using whatever's handy there in, uh, on the table or at home to make a poem come alive and share it and talk about it and just have fun with language. I'm so glad that you agree. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. I think they are useful in so many situations. So I recommend those anthologies. As we wrap up here in our conversation today, Sylvia, why don't you share with us just the maybe the one or two things that you think uh, parents or adults involved with children should remember about our conversation or about poetry in general? All right. If I was going to distill it down into one or two things, if you did not have a positive experience with poetry, poetry yourself when you were growing up, try not to let that keep you from sharing poetry with your kids. 
and look at poetry with fresh eyes and go to the library or look online and see the wonderful diversity of poetry that's being published for young people today and just dip your toe in and give it a try because I have found without fail that kids love it. Kids respond to it. They are some of the most poetic beings. Young people kind of think and speak in telegraphic poetry. And um, if we open the door, they'll walk right through. They'll lead us through. Perfect. Sylvia, I have just been honored. Thank you so much for talking with us today. It has been just a joy, and I really appreciate you taking your time to, to have a little chat with us today. Oh, you're welcome, and thank you for inviting me. Poetry expert Sylvia Vardell sharing some of her favorite poems for young people and tips on how to help kids have fun with poetry. Vardell is a co-author of the Poetry Friday Anthology. Next, Rachel visits with young adult and middle grade author Robison Wells about his journey as a novelist. Wells is known for stories often packed with action and high drama. He is the award-winning author of Blackout, Variant, Airships of Camelot, and others. He lives in the Rocky Mountains in a house not too far from elk pastures. Here's Robison and Rachel. We're in studio today with Robison Wells. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited today to talk to you about your work. You you are a wonderful author of middle grade young adult novels and very exciting adventure packed stories. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your process and maybe start out. Why is it that you pick these kind of adventure packed stories to tell? Uh, I write what I like to read. I have kind of two different phases of my writing, two different uh periods. I started writing for the LDS market and I had I published three books and this was back in 2004 when my first one came out and it was actually a romantic comedy. Okay, that's very different than what you write today. Right. <laughs> right. And so I wrote those, I wrote a romantic comedy and then I wrote two political thrillers. Then I decided that writing wasn't going where I wanted it to go. I wanted to make it a full-time career, and it wasn't. But I let it go, and I actually went back to school and uh, got an MBA here at BYU. And then after my MBA, uh, I graduated in 2009, which was not when anyone wanted to uh, hire anybody. Economic downturn time. <laughs> right, right. And, uh, and so there was a period of seven months when I was uh, unemployed and looking for jobs, I was kind of depressed and down. And my brother, Dan Wells, uh, he is also a full-time writer. And he is a wonderful writer and far better than me. And and he at the time was, was writing full-time. And he made a deal with me. And he said, if you have a book ready to pitch – I will take you with me to the World Fantasy Convention and introduce you to all of the agents and editors that I know, which is a big deal because in publishing as in anything, it's not what you know, it's who you know. There were only two catches and the first one was it has to be science fiction or fantasy and the second one was – the conference is two months away. And it has to be ready to pitch and in two months. it has to be ready to pitch in two months. <laughs> so I actually sat down and wrote Variant. It wasn't by any means a polished book at that point, but I uh, wrote it in, in 11 days. It is young adult science fiction. 
basically where the idea for that book came. Uh, I wanted to write a book where there were no adults. So I just started asking myself questions. And this all happened in the waiting room of a doctor's office uh, in half an hour. And I was just asking questions of myself saying, if there are no adults, then how does the power stay on? If there are no adults, where does the food come from? If there are no adults, then uh, um, who is making the decisions? And just by asking myself all of those questions, pretty soon I had the plot for Variant, or at least the setting for Variant, kind of figured out why things are the way they are. And then, and then one of the first things that I always do when I am plotting a book is I look for conflict. So that was the setting, and then Benson was the conflict, and then everything just grew from there. That's really interesting to me. And as you talk about this, one of the things that I notice from your work is you really tend to put a lot of independent thinkers in your book. So I think Benson is a good example of that. He's just a really, he's really independent, and he really thinks independently. But you're a lot of your books or all of your books now that I think about it have that kind of same independent character. So is that a char- kind of character type that you're drawn to? Uh, it is. I think that all young adult and well and middle grade to some extent, but definitely young adult is is aspirational. Your Your main readers are younger than – the characters in the book, just statistically. Usually for a young adult book where they're reading about 16 and 17-year-olds, the readers tend to be 12 and 13-year-olds, and they're looking up at these uh, characters and and saying, I want to be like that person. And so while I don't ever go into it saying I want this character to be a role model, uh, I do go into it saying, what would these readers want to be like? How would uh, what would really hit home for them as far as characters that they could see that they would want to that they would want to be like? I like that sense of being able to kind of see something that we aspire to in mm-hmm. in these characters. So, is that something you think about as you write? Do you think about these kids reading and that potential aspiration that they have to might? emulate these characters. I mean, in some way, because these characters are in situations, you put them in situations that real teens are really never going to right. encounter. So so do you consider that? And how do you think the teens are then going to take that information that they're getting and really apply it to their, to their real experiences? Sure. Um, I do both. My first book that came out, it being a romantic comedy, uh, I submitted it to the publisher and they really liked the book, but they came and complained to me at the end that they said there's no moral to the story. And I'm like, well, I didn't want there to be a moral to the story. I was just telling a romantic comedy. And and they said, well, do you need this in it? And and so I put a couple paragraphs worth of, of and the moral is, da 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 <laughs> And then in my next two books that I wrote for them, I made sure that that was part of it. And I didn't ever like it. it. felt disingenuous. So I went into writing Variant. I had that – when I wrote the first draft, there was a moral to the story. And my brother was one of the early readers on it. 
And he read this and he's like, what is this doing here? He just stood out like a sore thumb and and I decided that I needed to cut that out and I did when it was painful. So yeah, I in in my books now I don't plan to have a moral to the story, but I do have character arcs and I have people who change and people who grow and and I do have aspirational characters, people that they want to be like, but I'm more focused now on along with the character arc, they do have flaws to the characters. They they aren't as as good. They make bad decisions. They make reckless decisions. That Benson is a great example of that in Variant. He he has a lot of uh, the drive and the enthusiasm and everything for trying to escape from this situation that he's placed in that I think that that's relatable to a lot of readers. But on the other hand, he's also really reckless and he plays with his life and he kind of – bets everybody else's life as he becomes more influential in this world. So there are good points and bad points. And the fact that kids are reading them, I'm not trying to beat the kids over the head with be like this person. I'm just trying to show a person who has really good qualities uh, but they're tempered with some bad qualities as well. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Young adult novelist Robison Wells talking about his path of discovery in writing his fiction for young readers. We finish up the show today with Kirsty Kirkland, librarian at Provost Elementary in Provo, Utah. She talks to Cole Wissinger, a member of our World's Awaiting team, about the variety of ways from school reading contests to classroom and library activities that she uses to motivate students to want to read. Here's Kirsty and Cole. What are some of the favorite books around your library? Like what what books just can't you keep on the oh, shelves? Oh man, there's so many. Okay, so fifth grade boys love the Last Kids on Earth series. It's kind of an easier reader. It's got lots of pictures throughout it and it combines graphic novels with the story and it's about like the apocalypse So these five kids are the last kids on Earth, and they're zombies and monsters, and they're fighting them. Anyway, that one is very popular. Um, They also love the Unwanted series. Uh, Of course, Brandon Mill's Fablehaven. Harry Potters are always popular. We do a lot of reading programs, so those books get checked out a lot. So we do a Newbery reading program where they win medals for every 5, 10, 15, and 25 Newberries they read. We do a Call the Cop medal, so they get... If they read 25 Call the Cots, we do a Beehive one, which are books written in Utah. So they have to read 32 Beehives that were nominated that year, and then they get prizes. So those ones, those books that we focus on as far as prizes go, those get checked out constantly because kids like prizes, and I like to give out prizes. So Right now we're doing Battle of the Books, and it's a 20-book list for third and fourth grade and fifth and sixth grade, and those books are always gone because everybody – wants to read them because they're part of the program. So any book that you're spotlighting, the kids are going to gravitate towards. If they've never heard of it, they're not going to check it out. So. Yeah, I mean, and that makes, makes sense. sense. But <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, let's see. So outside, there's a big banner hanging outside the school that says read every day. Yeah, we do that through a program called RTS. All the students record their reading and then they turn their ca- – we have calendars. So they record every day that they read, and then every Monday they turn it in. And every other week I do drawings from each class where they get a prize 
one person in that class gets a prize and a free book. So they come down to the library and they get a pick out of the prize box and they get a free book to keep. Because I believe in trying to put as many books into the home as possible. And um, we also do big prize drawings at the end where they can win like a free bike or they can win, you know, I go after Christmas and shop all the cells when they're like 75, 80% off and try and get all the cool things. So we try and make it a huge thing because reading every day is what increases their ability to understand and to read rather than sporadically. And it also makes them love it. Like they start looking forward to it and keeps their stories consistent. Like, if you are reading a story and you don't read it for a week, you kind of forget what happened. But if they're reading it every day, they get into it, and their imagination grows, and they become more creative, and they learn more vocabulary. And then they start just loving it, and they start reading for fun, which I think is one of the most important things, is to read for fun. So what persuaded you to want to be a school librarian? Well, my degree is actually in secondary ed theater education. And when my youngest, I have five kids at home, and when my youngest started school, I actually followed her here into kindergarten and started working in kindergarten. And then about three years ago, the librarian that used to work here, her husband got a job in New York, so she left. And I was already working here in kindergarten, and they contacted me and said, hey, do you want to apply for this? Because I know you have a theater background. I was like, yeah, sure, that sounds like fun. And I've loved it ever since because you use theater. Anytime you stand in front of kids, you've got to perform. It's a performance, you know. So being in the library, being able to tell stories and read stories, and you're entertaining them constantly and making it exciting. And so I find that even though my background is theater, I use it basically putting on a one-man show every day, you know, that I stand up in front of the kids. But I love it, and it's so fun, and I've always loved to read. I've always been an avid reader. You couldn't keep me in books as a teenager and as a kid because I would read through them so fast. And I used to tutor elementary kids when I was in high school and college as well in reading because um, I think reading is important. And I, I love it when that light goes on and the kids go, hey, this is actually fun. I really like this, you know, because I'm like, yes, that's the goal. Like it. <laughs> so what's your favorite book to read out loud? whenever you are up here perform like what's because some books just lend themselves more to to a performance right yeah the narrative books do you know like the three little pigs from the wolf's perspective a lot of people know that book it's really fun to perform um but basically you can take any book as long as you're adding voices and you're not just trying to rush through and read it and i've loved watching the kids because i'm not scared to make silly voices as we go along and then when i watch the younger kids try and you know, we do deer time, which is drop everything and read at the very end of our library while we're checking out. And to watch them read to each other and try and use voices just, you know, makes me giggle inside a little bit. Of course, picture books are the most fun to read aloud because they're short and you can get through the whole thing in one class time. It's not reading a big novel, which I only have the kids once a week for 45 minutes. So to get through a whole novel is nearly impossible. So what I do with them is I take bits and pieces of my favorite books or books that we're spotlighting for the battle, and I choose the most exciting part and read it to them to try and catch their interest so that they'll be like, I'm going to read that. What happened? What happened? And I'm like, I can't tell you. I'm sorry. You have to read it. <laughs> You've mentioned all through this that you loved reading when you were a kid, and so i got to ask you, because I ask everyone, what were your favorite books to read when you were here in this school range that you're now finding yourself on the other side of? Oh, man, I loved R.L. Stein books. I liked the horror books and the scary books. But I also loved the books that talked about handicapped kids, like problem kids. So I used to volunteer down at Independence High as well when I was in college. 
but kids that had real life problems that struggle either with like a mental disorder or any kind of disorder, those just always intrigued me ever since I was little. And so I would read those books, you know, so we have like Out of My Mind or we have Fish in a Tree or, you know, the Darcy books. But they all deal with these these children that are different and that are struggling and wonder, you know, the wonder books. I just loved those when I was a kid. So I would read them. And then like in high school, I worked peer tutoring with the handicapped kids. And and I still love those type of books. So I still read them and I still recommend them to the kids because I think they develop empathy towards other people who are different. So you give me a book where somebody's struggling with a real life situation and I'll just eat it up. And that's, that's one of the beauties of books and just the poetry of language sometimes is that you can really open up another world to a different perspective and a different point of view that that you didn't already have. It's true. Kirsty Kirkland, librarian at Provost Elementary in Provo, Utah, talking about the variety of ways she helps children at her school to become excited about books. Thanks for listening to Worlds Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. and weekdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143, on the TuneIn app, and at byuradio.org.